0: PD Raw is a podcast sharing the experiences and insights of people with personality disorders or traits. By being brave and talking about the things that are shameful and painful, humans demystify and destigmatize the things that we hide. The aim of this podcast is to let others know that they are not alone. By showing the reality behind our walls, we hope to bring people closer together, connecting in a more open and authentic way. Please be aware that, due to its topic, this podcast is adults only, not safe for work, and may contain triggering content.
1: Howdy there again, our loyal and, as always, ever-captive audience. Keep a couple of y'all in my basement just so that I know there's somebody who listens. It's great to have you again, and today we have Joella back on the pod to talk about parenting part two. Joella, how are you? I'm great, Few. How are you? I am fantastic. You know, you're one of the people who still has their freedom and autonomy, so why we let you on the pod, why you still feel safe being around here, and, you know, <laughs> I feel glad that we're going to get to hear some more of your own personal experiences. I think last time I kind of led the discussion, shared a lot of myself, and kind of talked to some general uh, terms about things that happened with parenting. And this time we're going to go a little bit deeper into some of the things that you wanted to share. And I think some of the things that you bring yourself to parenting that are difficult inside of yourself that then can create trauma for your child or create a difficult situation. But it's not quite you being abusive or intending to be abusive, but it's just one of those things of having your own issues or being disordered and then trying to be in that space. There's just some shit that happens that we wish didn't, but it it kind of just do, don't it?
0: Oh, sure does. <laughs> <laughs> the shit be happening that's for (laughs) sure.
1: yeah so let's uh let's try to plow into this because i think this is something that could be really difficult for a lot of people to sometimes try to figure out how to navigate when they're doing things that are so impactful and wondering whether or not they're a failure or a good parent or what this means about them and. Sometimes it's just you have things inside, they cause you to act in certain ways, like you're doing your best, you're not bad, you're not good, you're living your life and you have children or dependents in them and this, these types of things can have these effects on them and hopefully if we shine a light in this area that people make fewer mistakes than perhaps our parents did and you're being brave enough to share your experiences, maybe not make the same mistakes that you have.
0: Yes, yes. That's. I think that's a great way to to put it. It's just like offering the insight, and hopefully somebody else is like, "Oh, okay, I see." Now they can reflect and be like, "Okay, I won't do it like this anymore, or I'll try to do, I'll try a different direction this time."
1: <laughs> exactly, and yeah, you know, I like I've already found something. A couple of people that I've recommended some of the pause that we've done together, where they've expressed difficult things with their parents, and I was like. Yes, I absolutely know what you're talking about. Like, I've had this experience. Like, check out this podcast episode. Yeah. And if there's, like, something interesting that's useful there for you, and you can also get feedback from people to understand something better yourself. But even just knowing that there are other people who could maybe listen to some of this and be like, it ain't just us is something that's reassuring for me. I don't know if it is for you as well.
0: Yeah, it it is. Definitely.
1: Yeah. All right. So let's get this let's get the show on the road. So we already talked about this a little bit, so not quite off the cuff, but you know, a little bit of a game plan. So we're going to start with some of your issues with financial difficulties. And I think in your case, your attachment to money and the things that you use it for come from a place of weakness or disorder inside of yourself. And that, Kinda has effects on your kid when you gotta buy them shit.
0: (laughs) Yeah, a little
1: bit. So yeah, I'll let you uh take the wheel here.
0: Yeah. So I've I've lived a life of financial impulsivity and it it absolutely has affected the way that I've parented. And one of the things I I had mentioned before we kind of came on air was the way that I would handle money when I was in like euphoria or I, dysphoria is that the opposite? My brain wants me to, wants me to think that's the opposite of euphoria.
1: Oh, it, if it isn't, it's real fucking close. But uh, I'm too lazy to do a quick okay. research. So you know what? Well, yes. yes, when yes. I'm, yes. I'm high
0: versus when I'm low, <laughs> I'll say it that way.
1: You know, I was okay. just gonna blindly claim to know and just let the chips fall where they may. But you took the smart option, so we'll go. Okay. With what you said.
0: <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I've been like this a lot of my life, where You know, when I'm in like an an area in my life where I feel pretty high or pretty good, I feel a lot more free to spend my money, even if I don't necessarily have the money to spend. So, it would be the pattern in itself would be okay. Feeling really good now, I want to feel even more like keep keep the drugs coming basically, not drugs, but the drugs, the life the the life high coming. And so spending money would add to that feeling good. and so I'd you know, be buying all kind of stuff and things and doing stuff and whatever. But then on the other side of that, when I would be in my lower moments, I was spending money to try to make myself to help myself feel better. So now I'm gonna, you know, buy that random thing that i saw clothing shoes whatever it is and it's going to make me feel better because i feel like shit right now and then then there would be kind of like the middle moments and these are the moments that i would call like stuck my stuck feelings is when i really wouldn't be necessarily high or low but there was definitely like a frustrated feeling around the money and i don't know now that i was speaking about this right now like might be connecting some dots here, but the stuckness could could also be tied to me waiting to feel either the high or the low, perhaps. Anyway, mm-hmm. so the way that would kind of play out in terms of parenting or, you know, my son is like, if I would be in that stuck space and he wanted or needed something, or I didn't feel capable to provide what he needed or felt guilty about not having the money or something like that in that moment it would be like, okay I can't buy this thing or purchase this thing or whatever but if if within those next few days or a month or so I end up hitting that euphoria space somehow that high space well now the money that I said that I didn't have for thing a or thing B all of a sudden I have money, but I'm spending it more so on myself. In, in various ways. And when I say myself, I, I, w- I want to say that it necessarily wasn't always like completely selfish in, se- in a sense that, oh, I have this money and I'm not going to get anything for my son at all. It was more along the lines of, oh, now we can do all the things that kind of don't really matter. Like when you were talking before off air about the big picture and being able to color in the lines, it was more so now I spend money on these things that we can get immediately. So whether that's going out to eat, you know, maybe he wanted a new toy or something like that and I can get him the toy that he wants. But there's, if the money was needed when I'm in that stuck space for something that could possibly be contributing to, let's say his future or even my future or whatever, then I would be much more tight about it. It was like, I can't spend this money. That just doesn't, I can't. And I think that had more to do with not, that thing wasn't going to grant a, instant gratification feeling. So I, I felt like I don't have the money for that, but, you know, next week when I'm in euphoria and I want to get a tattoo, oh, <laughs> now I have money for a tattoo.
1: Well, holla now at I your girl. What'd you say? I said, holla at your girl.
0: Yeah. So, <laughs> so yeah, I, I think I, w- I, I definitely would like to clarify the fact that it wasn't necessarily that I was just, Depriving him of things, I think that it was just a lot harder for me to maybe invest in something that could be something that could be building for the future, right? So, you know, even even some school like school like things, like I can't, I'm trying to think of a, an example, but I can't think of anything more right off the bat. I don't know. I feel like it's more. I've no. I I feel like I've noticed this particular thing more so now um and he's like in college now he's there's a lot of things that he's he's taking care of himself but I realize that sometimes the small things like the things that I know I can take care of like maybe not as significant, I will be like oh I can take care of that for you but if he mentions a bigger cost that may have to do with school or something then I'm just like, oh my God I don't have the money I can't do it da, 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 and I get all scared and anxious and like ugh you know so the impact i i feel like is that i'm not able to actually support him in ways that will allow him to be set up more or better for for the future that makes sense so like i did mm-hmm. a lot of talking right there
1: in weird mm-hmm. way <laughs> oh, you did do a lot of talking, and uh, trust me, sis, I was taking fucking notes. So okay. uh, we're, we're gonna hold you accountable for each one of them words. They're, okay. Uh, okay. They're, they're gonna be expensive in one way. Is that what I want to say right now? Hmm. I'm gonna, they're gonna cut be this expensive. <laughs> they're gonna be expensive. Yeah, that's not what I mean. Oh. Uh, okay. Yeah. Anywho. Um. Yeah. No. We're we're definitely going to make something of those words right now because okay. there's so many directions that I could go in there. And I guess I'm kind of glad that I let you run with your train of thought there because it allowed you to kind of dig deeper into where some of this was coming from or what it leads into. And now we can do some of the analysis you've given this very rich picture and even expanding on some of the things we've we been talked about off air. So one thing that I hear, I guess the last thing that you kind of mentioned is that there's a lack of confidence that it sounds like you're talking about in terms of actually being able to make the commitment or be authoritative on things that are a longer term view like yeah like you know like i can pay for this dinner or like you know you can have this toy then it's something like you know buying you cleats and a uniform getting you enrolled in a soccer league or like giving you lessons for like some instrument or some shit like that or you know, some of these different things that could be building over time take repetition to take care of that could significantly build upon and add to his life. Mm-hmm. And you shy off the fuck away from that. You're just like, no, 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 no. Like, I do like the one it does, like the things where it's just like, you know, we do it and it feels good and then it's yeah. over and I'll have to think about it again <laughs> as opposed to oh it sounds it sounds like a <laughs> be- <laughs> oh no
2: <laughs> oh god okay
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah this is the problem when you put your shit out there sometimes just okay. uh, <laughs> okay. as i said well those words that you issued like yeah maybe they're gonna cost you a bit more than you thought they were because we're uh we're gonna deposit these in the bank account right now and kind of really get the value out of them okay yeah and I think this is something which is really I mean, I think it bespeaks a lot of insecurity. I think a lot of people who are, or maybe not just a lot of people, maybe this is something that's close to the definition of insecurity, is, you know, somebody who can show up for the things that are light and that are easy and that are fun and things that you don't have to think about again, things that you can invests in a direction, but doesn't have any sort of ownership or anything hanging on it. Mm-hmm. The moment you start getting to that place, then you start waking the fuck out. Mm-hmm. And, and part of that is because that requires a skill set that I think disordered people don't have. It requires you to know who you're going to be in the future, to be able to anticipate, to make plans, to see how feelings move and change over time. And if you don't have those skills, you don't have those experiences, or they haven't been taught to you, then that is something where you, it's a significant weakness of yours. It feels painful to try to operate in that space. And so you shy away from it. Your feelings push you away from it. And it leads to something like you're talking about. I guess uh, my partner, she is definitely the more grounded and stable one of the two of us and she has roundly criticized me for not financially planning or for not having a budget and kind of like i I wouldn't say like you the difference between us would be that while i maybe wasn't super cautious or planning for the future with money Mm -hmm. i also really i don't use money necessarily to fill in lacks or like I don't feel great. So like I need to buy something or like I need to use to like make myself feel like there's a a certain similarity between us and then a couple of things that we're different on. Mm -hmm. But then in terms of like kind of somebody who like really knows how to like have a vision or a future or to plan for sustainability or how to put in that consistent effort, like somebody who could actually be like talk with their son and be like, okay, here's the budget. Uh Here's the money that we have, disposable income. Here's the thing, if you're talking about something big then, here's the big thing you're talking about. Here's what it would take out of the budget. Here's what the time commitment would be. You actually need to have that level of detail and planning and realness to be able to approach those decisions and like say something sensible and Mm -hmm. actually make an informed decision, as opposed to when you're just kind of throwing money around and kind of flying by the seat of your pants. Mm -hmm. It's like, okay, like making an ongoing or a large commitment, you, it's not even a matter that you don't want to. It's just you don't even know how the fuck to think like that. That's <laughs> not relationship to money. It so fucking scares you. Like you don't know what's going to happen if you make this commitment and you show up. You don't know how to think about money in a way where you've thought about it ahead of time and planned for it. And you almost feel like you're trapping or boxing yourself in for later or something like that. Yes.
0: Mm-hmm. So the box in that
1: <laughs> so what, uh, yeah so now I've just uh, talked some shit back at you and mm-hmm. uh I don't know what do you think about those?
0: I I agree with that and I I I absolutely resonate. That's my favorite word right now, or my new word, resonate with what you're saying here. Um sure. because I think that there has been an element of fear around committing to something and seeing it through not just with money but with a lot of things in my life so it carries over into the way i handle money and definitely the insecurity feeling boxed in and all that is it's like okay if i do this thing do we have to stay here forever like this is what it is or can we bounce around you know like <laughs> mm-hmm. and then also i think what you mentioned something about I, I, I think you mentioned i'm not sure if these were the right words but like about your moods are like, like almost like how you're going to feel later. I think is w- the way I was Yeah,
1: starting. like, who, who am I going to be? How am I going to feel later? Like how are my own feelings going to change over time? And right. To make a commitment to something means that you have to know how you're going to feel or move over time. Right.
0: And that is always a mixed bag for me because I'm definitely someone that's like, I feel like this right now, but. <laughs> who knows how I'm going to feel in 20 minutes. <laughs> <laughs>
2: um. So
0: yes, I think that that uncertainty plays into that as well because, and I think that also derails discipline in a lot of ways. So if you're always kind of like, you know, Flippy flopping everywhere. I don't feel like it now, but then I maybe I feel like it later, or maybe I shouldn't have stopped doing that. And now I want to start up again. Like, there's it's hard to create discipline with that type of issue going on. And then it's even harder to try to impart any form of discipline in that way when it comes to raising children. So you know, when it came, you know, when it comes to money, I think that that's, you know, it's very similar process, you know? Like,
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, one of the other things is that, you know, maybe sometimes the way that people think about money is like, what is it? And for a large degree, like, money is possibility for many people's, like, what you can do or it shapes your world. And if you're living kind of, hand to mouth, money then becomes like this real kind of heavy brick or weight. Mm -hmm. Like it's terrifying of not knowing if you're going to be able to make it and this anxiety that comes from it. And so maybe you think about it in terms of like incomes and like showing off or... But it it can, because of what it means and because of what it allows you to do, I mean, even in terms of expressing your emotions, in terms of the things that you're allowed to engage in, Mm
2: -hmm. your
1: engagement to money, it can be profoundly... Mm -hmm. Emotionally motivated, or it can be an expression of your relationship to money and how you use it, of your relationship to yourself and your past and the world around you. Yes. And so it's one of those things where when you're describing some of what you have about money and how you navigate it and kind of your weak spots of vulnerabilities. It's just said so much about who you are and how you navigate the one. Again, like, you know, you even make the link there yourself of the insecurity and tying into the discipline thing. It's one of those ways where just by being honest about that, you've devolved so much of your own internal world through this thing that we think about in drier terms or, I mean, I think with disordered people, like try having a serious financial conversation with like a partner who you're interested in or something. Mm -hmm. And let me know in the comments if you think you've done that well to any degree or if you've even fucking thought to. (laughs) And it's like probably not because, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, there's a lot of your own repressions and avoidance and insecurities and trying to defer responsibility that you can see playing out with this very concrete thing that is an expression of yourself
0: yeah and you mentioned avoidance in that sense too because i think that has to do that i think also explains some of the i mean we'll get to this at some point but the like moving towards and then withdrawing aspect as well because Mm -hmm. i do realize that when i feel More even when it comes to showing up for my friends and things like that, like it's almost sometimes it feels like if I don't have money or a certain amount of money accessible to me, then I can't be a good friend. Like it feels like I can't actually show up or participate or support or help or whatever I'm needed to do. Sometimes it feels like the amount of money that I have is attached to that
1: absolutely i mean again this is another thing in terms of like money as possibility yeah. like you're talking about like your girl's trip to vegas or yeah. like you know maybe your friend is like a musician and it's like has a show or yeah you know like you want to like do all these other things and money can very literally represent your possibility to support or have experiences with people yeah and obviously i think that being as healthy as you can is to think about Ways in which you can have experiences with people, spending the money that is within your budget or that is within reason. And of course, you can connect with people in deep ways without having to break the bank or break the budget. But these are some of those more serious considerations. These are some fucking terrifying thoughts about money being able to allow you to be present or be close to people. And When you're then, you know, kind of drawing it back to parenting and in terms of like making those longer term decisions and commitments,
2: Mm -hmm.
1: again, it's terrifying to think about doing those longer term things and the possibilities you're potentially narrowing down on or cutting down, cutting out for yourself or having to follow through with this decision that you've made, I think is something that a lot of disordered people are pretty bad at. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that follow through uh, muscle is 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 uh it's real weak. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Let me see here. Oh, oh God. Oh, oh, I feel bad for you, Joella. Cause I'm about to come for your ass real hard. Like you thought you you thought I did already. Oh. Oh damn. When when Fu wants to go in, he is a gigantic asshole. Okay. Yeah. So another thing about this talking about avoidance
2: mm-hmm. is.
1: That spending money on the small things and, you know, or even being able to like go on the sprees where you spend money a lot in either direction of uh, to keep your grandiosity going or when you're feeling poorly Mm
2: -hmm.
1: and to pick yourself back up. But there is a way in which when you have kind of sort of wasted your money or you've maybe thrown it away on frivolous things that you have made yourself helpless or made yourself incapable of providing. Mm-hmm. And so you have put yourself in a position where you are unable to do the hard work of, like we were saying with discipline, of actually doing the hard things with parenting. It's like thinking about my son's future and what I need to do to accomplish that fucking terrifying thought in it, commitment and something you got to work towards. And so when you've throwing the money towards other even when you're doing things like you know kind of for him like you know yeah yeah am a new pair of sneakers or like the toy he wanted or like you know go out like eat a nice meal like any of these things you're still not addressing the harder and the deeper things that are Absolutely. what really builds a relationship and builds a person and are things that you maybe don't know how to do or you're afraid of from your own upbringing
2: mm-hmm. and so mm-hmm. you've
1: manage to make yourself powerless to have to deal with those things like oh i can't think about as you kind of said like when those bigger things come like i don't have the money i can't think about it it's almost an automatic muscle you don't even try to take a moment to reflect about like what would this mean it's just oh i can't and like you know like the small things like you, you just throw it around but like <laughs> it's that avoidance of the deeper things that you would need to really dig deeper down and put out the consistent effort and show the restraint. Uh, You're handing, you're clipping your own wings so that you don't have to do the thing that you find harder or more uncomfortable. I mean, in a way you could almost see this as self-sabotage, which is for sure, which (laughs) is a word that I have kind of weird feelings about because sometimes when I, when people say self-sabotaging, they're like, you know, you're working against your own interests, but like, in this case, if you have if this is an aspect of your attachment to money and how you spend you're you
0: continuing it. to keep yourself in that safe space, like it's exactly. the sabotage area is actually what feels safe. So you're doing things to guarantee to keep you safe, essentially, because you can't do what you are viewing as the hard thing, which is whatever to like in this case, you know, contribute to a long term goal or whatever the case is, but it feels safer to stay in that space of I can't do it.
1: Yep. Yeah, yeah. I mean, stole the fucking words out of my mouth. Like, G- like, quite literally, Jesus woman, do the pod, like, just take <laughs> place. place. Uh- <laughs> yeah no exactly so like in this case it's just like from one perspective you call it self-sabotage but then from another perspective like what the fuck are you sabotaging you you had an aim you acted in a certain way it had the intended consequence like yes you fuck some things up you wanted to fuck them up because you didn't want to deal with them like that's not sabotaging anything like you are achieving the goal you set out for like mission accomplished Mm -hmm. so Yeah, like it's you're creating the reality that allows you to be in the place that you feel most comfortable.
0: Because, and I I mentioned this to a friend of mine not too long ago, where it was just like, if you don't know any different from how you've been, then the way that you've been is the safety zone, period. Like, there's no, there's not really any uh, point of reference to see what it looks like on the other side. So, the sabotage in itself yeah it doesn't i don't think it's necessarily a, necessarily sabotage anymore it's becomes i'm afraid to try this other thing so i'm going to stay in this space that f- feels more comfortable or familiar
1: absolutely like you know you're you're doing the thing you know you're creating your causing your like i'm
0: good at fucking shit up so i'm just gonna stay (laughs) like i know i'm good at this i know i'm good at this so i'm just gonna stay here it's cool
1: exactly and you know that's another thing where it's i think freud has talked about this of people being invested or committed to their dysfunction yeah and god that's a deep cut i gotta think about where i remember that from but people when you have gains from your dysfunction or certain behaviors that are maladaptive in order to get the person to change you have to give up the gains that you actually get from your behaviors like you know when people are more judgmental or persecutory like that's when they're like you're just self-sabotaging you're doing the wrong thing like it's just bad but it's like these behaviors serve a purpose for you or the of something in you and so in order to actually get you to change You have to accept that you are giving up something that you are getting out of it. If you were not getting something out of it, like psychological security or avoiding a harder thing or Mm -hmm. indulging some sort of desire or repetition compulsion, then like you wouldn't do it. Like if you could clearly see an alternative and it were better and you felt secure about it and you felt competent and capable and it would just be the easiest thing to do. And it would be better than what you're doing right now, and you still not tr- still chose not to do it for some fucking reason. Mm-hmm. Oh, scarcely comprehensible what to call that, because that doesn't really happen very often because you'd be doing the fucking thing. Yeah, like that's that's not what's going on when people do things that from the outside look self-defeating or look difficult. It is not the case that they could have just easily done the thing that you think is better in the long term or more satisfying or whatever. There is this aspect of which like you are doing something that is in some ways harmful. And in some ways, like, you know, maybe you want to have more money or you want to be able to like balance the budget, but then psychologically or emotionally, you really do want to be in this place of just not having to deal or being in this place of being kind of powerless or not being committed
0: so with that i want to also kind of come in with because i i get this is something else i was just having a conversation with about business and like money and stuff like that and getting to the point where i've been doing a certain thing for about four years now and i still the money aspect of it is still a pain point and i mm-hmm. also realized like in the many ways i don't want I don't want to have to balance the checkbook, let's say. like, Mm -hmm. like Numbers and money and all that have always been something that I would like to reap the benefits of, but not necessarily have to manage, if that makes sense.
2: (laughs) Absolutely.
0: And so my thing too, in reference to what you're saying in terms of not wanting to do something, I think there also comes a time where you can say to yourself, you know what? I've been attempting this thing, but the bottom line is I don't really want to do it. So, if that's the case, but you still want to reap the benefits of, then maybe it is now time to reach out for help. Maybe you delegate something. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think that's another thing that people don't want to do and in my in my case there has Because of the incapable feeling, there's also this under not under this other layer of, I feel incapable, but I want to do it myself. But then, but then also in some ways being upset that I can't do it myself and have to ask for help. So, I think there's another layer of just being like, I don't want to do it, but I do want to experience this particular thing. So, how can I do this with asking for help and getting assistance or support that allows me to continue to do the thing without, I'll use the word sabotage, but in this case, sabotaging or the psychological self-fulfilling prophecy. Because I think that's another thing too, is like some things maybe you just don't get, that's fine. (laughs) But maybe that's where you actually say, I'm going to ask for help and get legitimate assistance in this place. And then maybe things can change from there. Possible.
1: Yeah. And I mean, something that was kind of screaming in my head while you're talking here is that childish petulance that I shouldn't have to ask for help. Like I should already know everything. Like there's never, if I, you know, nobody is bigger than me. Like that childlike narcissism kind of, uh, you know, I talk about this a lot of having seen it in my niece when, particularly when COVID hit and I mm-hmm. was doing some of her instruction for school uh-huh. while she was out of school and working through those issues of she'd give the wrong answer and I'd tell her the right one. She's like, oh, that's what I actually meant. Uh-huh. Or if she didn't know something getting really frustrated me, like, well, you know, I didn't I don't want to do it anyways, or just like having a hard time accepting instruction and guidance because people don't want to feel like they're wrong or they don't Mm -hmm. want to feel dependent or vulnerable Mm -hmm. and just stamping that shit out of being like, nobody ever gets anything right all the time. Mm -hmm. You have to practice in order to get things right, right. You have to be taught or study in order to know what you're aiming for. Mm -hmm. And so there was just an ongoing process of gently, but firmly pushing through those behaviors and addressing them as they came up. And I think at this point, she's a lot more well-rounded as a kid. She knows that nobody knows everything that if she wants to do well on something, she has to put in the effort of practicing, then she knows delayed gratification of, if I want to not feel bad on the test of blanking and not knowing the answer, I have to put in the effort beforehand. Mm -hmm. And she also knowing that not knowing everything and being vulnerable and being taught is okay. And also, you know, I've said this to her many times, but particularly as a child, it is your job to learn. Like yeah that is your vocation that yeah. there's it is the most important thing and there is nothing wrong even as you get older you should still be learning but you mm-hmm. know that kind of takes a backseat to providing and yeah. changing and so that is i think a, fa- a phase or a stage that everybody goes through and you know you can see it rear its head in certain places even as you get uh, to be an adult like you're talking about right now and so it It's sort of counterintuitive, but sometimes the strongest adults or the most mature and capable people are the ones who are strong enough to be weak. The ones who are strong enough to be vulnerable to say, I don't know this. I need to work on it. Mm-hmm. You know better than me in this area. Can you share your experience or your perspective? Mm-hmm. And that's something that I think, well, I mean, I have all sorts of thought about thoughts about this because I see this all the time. I try to practice or cultivate that to some degree, you know, as much as I'm able to with my own blind spots of taking in other people's perspectives holding myself back at times, being vulnerable, not always being perfect. And sometimes people see that hesitancy or that difficult balancing act of confident and assertive, but then also pulling back and leaving room for the other person and Uh knowing when to be vulnerable and when to be strong. And sometimes people see the disorder, people in particular, see the vulnerability or they see the weak sides and they think, well, that makes a person weak or that, you know, this is like where somebody's trigger points are. or I can easily fuck with somebody this is what makes me superior and it's just like you're just kind of telling on yourself that you're so weak and petrified and so short term of a thinker and you haven't confronted your own humanity and vulnerability enough to know how to make yourself more powerful Mm -hmm. in terms of actually looking at the things that are hard or shameful to admit Right. Um, you know, I I think I've said this on another podcast, I've said this to some other people, but sometimes, for example, the most loving thing you can do for people is to be there with them through the shameful and the painful. It's mm-hmm. not actually the time, you know, I mean obviously like the good times are great and the positive memories but if you cannot be weak and vulnerable and share your flaws and insecurities and actually be in that place with the people who you love the most, who the fuck are you supposed to do that with and how are you ever supposed to work on it? Right. it I mean, that's the definition of insecurity kind of in a nutshell when you're unwilling to confront those things. And then you end up kind of like in situations like you're saying right now or we've described with you where you're keep recreating the situation with money that deprives you of actually having to kind of square up and ovary up and be secure and think about the longer term things and who i'm going to be and really nail those things down Mm -hmm. and so there's a there's a refusal to authentically confront your own weakness and to try to learn from it and work past it and i think that's kind of disordered person as fuck just peak clustered fuckery and so it's just like yeah you know you're you're on the pod you know you're (laughs) you're here for a reason this is a great experience to be able to share with people and it's this is one of those things when people like might hear this and be like man like this person's so exposed like you know this is aren't they afraid and it's like you know this is actually showing how much stronger that you are there's certain other people that you're willing to go to this place because once you can name it, once you can label it, once you can step into it, that's the only way you can possibly fucking change it.
0: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Ooh. Ooh
1: that was a big old fucking ramble from me. <laughs> and I'm I guess. Intently listening. <laughs> and yeah, I guess there, there, I think there are two more points that I wanted to mine here. And, okay. And and then we can move on to something else. Maybe we'll only do one other topic and then we can cut it there and come back around for it in part three. Okay. But okay. Oh God, I have so many more things I can say here. <laughs> <laughs> this this <laughs> reminds me of my brother saying that I've always been like this since I was a kid of, being willing to carry out a point far longer than anybody else gives a fuck about, uh-huh. because like this is the kind of thing I do. Of like, I can take just like small things or instances or things people share and just go. Like, you give me an inch, and I just grab your whole fucking arm, just yank it down, and just go <laughs> all the way down to the root of like, where does this lead? And mm-hmm. I've just always been this way. Okay, so we're gonna go with right. So filling in on what we we're talking about, about insecurity to some degree, like getting your shit together on money means you are stuck with the consequences of your own actions. Mm-hmm. Ooh, that's another peak cluster behavior of people not wanting to, I think maybe victim mentality is a good way to approach this where cluster of people want to have an external locus, an external locus of control. It's not, me who does things, it's always other things outside of me. Things happen Uh to me. Okay. To have an internal locus of control would mean responsibility. Which means except that you're the actor and you're responsible for the consequences. Mm -hmm. And so being able to avoid those difficult spaces means you're constantly avoiding having to be responsible and the author Mm -hmm. over your own life Mm -hmm. you're constantly giving up that power and you're also just not hemming yourself in like when you're insecure you always want to be able to be free you always want to be able to escape you don't want to feel like you owe anything to anybody or that you have kind of like intimacy and you know there's something to that but the flip side to that is you can't build anything yeah never commit or lay down pieces or promise anything and so you are to some degree trying to only engage with things where you're not nailed down later or you're not hemmed in. And I think that's a sign of a inner lack of insecurity or a sign of an inner lack of security. Mm-hmm. And just, you know, kind of again, that childish petulance of immaturity of I want to be able to be free to do whatever I want whenever I want, and right. not the adult of knowing of this is just what has to happen in order for these other outcomes to potentially come about.
0: Yeah. That's another thing that I I get for sure. It's like, and, and I think I can directly trace (laughs) that particular thing as far as like, you know, not wanting to be nailed down to something or, you know, feeling like I And being controlled from the outside. Like, I can absolutely relate that back to childhood and especially religion. And just when it came, even when it came to money, like, I I could say, like, my dad has like ways that he's wanted us to manage our money when we were kids. So he would try to teach us certain things that were pretty restrictive, in my opinion. (laughs) And so as I got, older, I think again, like that rebellion was there of like, I don't want someone else to try to control the way I handle my money and this and that and the other. And so, yeah. And I, I mean, in terms of, and this could be a little bit nitpicky right now, but hear me out. So in terms of like, you know, kind of being everyone else's fault. I feel like I haven't quite taken that particular stance necessarily. Uh-huh. Yes, in some ways in terms of understanding why I am like like as far as my upbringing and like how that influences the way that I am. But at least for I would say I don't I don't, I don't know how many years. <laughs> but but for a long time I I feel that I have Understood that it was my actions that were getting me into the positions that I was in. I just didn't know how to not keep doing that. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so, so it was less along the lines of like, everyone's doing these things to me, or all of this stuff is just happening to me, and more along the lines of like, Why do I keep putting myself in these situations? What's happening in me that I'm not getting that keeps bringing me here? If that makes sense.
1: Oh, that absolutely makes sense. And yeah, I mean, when I say that, you know, it's everybody else's fault, you know, it can also be like everything else's fault or, you know, just like, why does this happen? So yeah, it doesn't always have to be like necessarily like everybody else's the, yeah, Perpetrator per se, but there is. In terms of
0: external, you mean like external factors that are happening, whether it's a person that you're blaming or a circumstance or whatever. It's just like, it's viewing it more so as these external things are keeping me from being able to do A, B,
1: or C. Exactly. And I mean, even to some degree, where you're saying that you keep putting yourself in these circumstances and you can't even change it. From within yourself yeah. in some way that is also like even though that's sort of inside you the external locus here is some part of your psychology or your past or your repetitions that leaves it outside of your agency uh, so you're i mean you even kind of said it there like how yeah. do i keep ending up in these circumstances yeah not oh i see how i keep putting myself here, like that's the internal of I made these decisions and it Uh led to these outcomes. There's almost the surprise of how the fuck did I end up here again? Or like, I know I chose to do this and I know that I'm here, but I just don't get why, like something has happened or acted upon me or that I don't have control over Mm -hmm. or I don't have agency over. So I think an internal locus of control is seeing very clearly how your feelings, feelings, Thoughts and decisions have led you to the place that you're at, and you feel like you are an active and efficient, capable agent and author of your life. Gotcha. And you feel like you're the one who's driving the car, so to speak. I see. And then, with an external locus of control, you're sitting in the back seat or you're sitting in the uh, passenger side. Yeah. And something else is driving, and that's something else can be all sorts of fucking things. Yes. and I think sure. a lot of disordered people talk about this lot. they even talk about feeling like watching themselves from the passenger seat oh is yeah. doing things and not being the one who's having or making the decisions yeah and that is almost an external locus of control because you feel like you're the one quite literally being taken for a ride
0: like you're hostage yeah. on
1: the a- exactly yeah
0: yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah, and and versus an internal locus of control, you feel like you're the one who's kind of always in control, like you can decide the destination, like you're the one who has a hand on the wheel. And so I think oh, right. So drawing this back to kind of externalizing the blame onto other people, <laughs> seeing other people as perpetrators. Something that's interesting here is that you can have this external locus of control where you feel like you are not in control even if you purportedly you know did the actions or you were the one who decided on it and the problem comes when people have that internal sense of being out of control or Mm -hmm. externally controlled or not being the one who is the internal locus Mm -hmm. and so for you you're at least aware of well, I know that like I did this, I still don't feel in control, but I know it's not like other people or it's not like fate fucking. Yeah. But when you get disordered people who kind of start going down some really pathological rabbit holes with anxiety and paranoia or reaction formation, that's when you start blaming other people or you start blaming fate or you start coming up with conspiracy theories. You have to find somebody who is in the driver's seat Knowing that you feel like you're in the passenger seat and you're the one who isn't controlling things. Mm-hmm. And that's when you start to hear people, like, you know, even perpetrators who blame their victims saying, well, they're the one who actually like, caused me to do the thing. Maybe even inside themselves, they didn't. Again, as I said, I think it's relatively rare for people to be clear eyed, malignant a lot of the times. Like, that's a very small subset of people. Mm-hmm. A lot of people probably know that they're the one who chose to do the thing, but they sort of felt like a passenger, even to themselves. Yeah. And then when they're unwilling to be, to confront themselves or be aware of it, that's when they start projecting and blaming everything and anything in the vicinity. Well, you know, it was like the mechanic who fixed my car and it was, you know, God, he just didn't want me to do this. Or, you know, like COVID-19 is a conspiracy by like these people. Or, you know, she... Or he was the one who was asking for it. They provoked me to like, you know, abuse or manipulate them. Mm -hmm. And it's going back to this exact same internal external locus. But when you start losing awareness, or you start even not wanting to be accountable for the shitty things that you do, that are kind of beyond the pale, but you still did them. That's when you really start blaming and uh, trying to get other people to be the driver which of course then just further disempowers you puts you even further away from having an internal locus of control right and you go down some very bad rabbit holes there so i mean if you were in that space you'd be pathologically delusional Yeah. Uh, and this conversation would be a lot more fucking difficult so <laughs> but but it's interesting how This is giving it given me an opportunity to explain this. And you can even see in yourself that at least you still have enough grounding and reality testing and inner security to know that no, I did do this. And like I'm not completely, I don't quite have my fingers around why or what has made me this way, but like I'm kind of working through it. Like you like you pulled back a bit, you're like, I'm not completely out of control here, yeah. so like you haven't gone down that rabbit hole of like really trying to abandon authority and authorship over yourself. But this is the path where some people do, and yeah. Could go,
2: yeah. And
1: I think that's just something interesting to note while we're in this wheelhouse of like it's a spectrum or it's a continuum. Yeah.
0: Yeah.
1: Holy yeah. fuck! I don't know how we ended up here.
0: I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> the rabbit oh. holes are the most interesting. <laughs> that's
2: for sure.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but I, I, I understand because in terms of out of control, I think there was. I think that's also something that I've, I've definitely dealt with in terms of insecurity. It's like this feeling of people being able to notice how disorganized or, or, like how kind of chaotic I felt internally. You know. If it was translating externally, if that makes sense, I don't, I don't, I don't necessarily feel that as strongly as I used to. But yeah, there is a time, especially when I frequ- frequented social media a lot
1: more. Well, we I, found the problem right there. Send the detective song.
0: Yeah, I, <laughs> social media is rough, man. <laughs> but I, I actually, yeah, yeah, social media would would definitely make things. I feel like feel more intense in terms of that. But yeah, there was always kind of like this insecurity of like, oh my God, can people tell like that I've got a shit ton of things going on right now in my brain (laughs) like that I'm all over the place, but yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's just like another good point of how sometimes people can get into self-reinforcing spirals where they have an insecurity that causes them to avoid the thing, causes Mm -hmm. them to do this, fucked up behaviors and then you're like oh my god i hope nobody notices And yeah. you're afraid of your vulnerabilities and your dysfunction being out there in the open yeah. that causes you to not authentically and openly actually confront your shit do more avoidant behaviors stay out of control the whole fucking thing repeats mm. we go right back to what i said before about actually being able to make changes or do powerful work means you have to first be willing to go to those places where things are painful and shameful and put them out there in the open and just be like I'm going to survive this or this will be okay. And yeah, I mean, it's easier said than done, but when you consistently make the choice to not do so, and then it starts reinforcing itself with some of these things like peer pressure, as you're mentioning, it just continues onwards and it strengthens over time and if you add in other sorts of trauma or other things into the mix, it could spiral the fuck out of control as well. Yeah. Yeah. So man. Yeah.
0: Fun uh, cocktails happening. All kinds oh, of cocktails.
1: Oh fit, <laughs> what are uh what a trajectory on that one. I think maybe one more thing. Fuck okay. Me. Don't hold me to that because it might be lying out my ass. Um <laughs> Yeah, so I guess another thing to talk about, and I think this is something that a lot of cluster B people will be able to relate to, and that is instant gratification. Oh, yeah. hills. yeah. So, yeah, I mean, just another thing of, I think with disordered people, I was actually talking with nameless narcissists about this as well, about different ways of approaching the world and them not being wrong. Mm-hmm. So instant gratification is a perfectly sensible strategy in a chaotic environment or in a time of scarcity. And you are incapable of planning or making secure decisions over time. Mm -hmm. So in those cases, it's like, it's a dollar in hand now, potentially $10 in the future if I invest it wisely or it's fucking nothing or it's even like worse than nothing as like people are stealing out my pocket. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, and when you're somebody who's disorganized, you approach the world and you just, you can't tell between those options, like what's coming down the pipes or Mm -hmm. what you need to prepare for or what direction to go in. And so in those cases, it's just delayed gratification or sorry, it's instant gratification or nothing. And so Disordered people, I think they can have a skill set that allows them to flourish and function in terms of the shallow, the immediate, the quick, in terms of like uh, the superficial charm and glib, in terms of being able to quickly make good impressions upon people, in terms of being spontaneous or being willing to navigate uh, situations that are really tense or chaotic. And that is something that they feel more comfortable in. Can make snap judgments or be impulsive. And these are all ways of privileging a certain skill set of living in the now and not thinking into the future. And it's not necessarily a weakness. Mm -hmm. The question is what is that impulsivity or scarcity mindset being employed towards? If it's being targeted, for, you know, we talked heavily (laughs) about. The fucking emotions of money up until this point which is yeah. not how i thought this was going to go but here we are yeah so if that impulsivity and quick-wittedness is employed to the right ends i mean it can allow you it can be the difference between sinking or swimming if you mm-hmm. think about being a child and being in a disorganized chaotic environment hmm as a child, you need to be able to potentially try to manipulate these older, more powerful beings that are adults in your world, or to be able to figure out where they're coming from, or to take quick and decisive action. Mm-hmm. As you start getting older, like your teens and adolescence, and then back to an adult, there are ways in which you can bring that skill set to target certain ends, and it actually is the correct way to navigate those circumstances that are chaotic or dramatic, or you function in a circumstance or society or a place that privileges people who can make those quick impressions or be spontaneous, like kind of, right. So I guess one way you could think about this is when you're setting cement and the person who acts the quickest gets to be the one who chooses the shapes that it sets in or to leave their imprint on it and if you are too slow, you lose out. So there's a way in which people who sometimes can act quicker can shape the emotional environment. Like everybody always has these inner dynamics that are going on playing out that can affect something that, you know, you can think of in dry terms as, again, money. But there are these other things that are going on that motivate how that practical, concrete concept or thing that we have to rely upon works and so people who are quicker to the draw are the ones who can have more power or authority or they can shape the direction they can have their inner truth of reality validated before other people's Mm -hmm. and the other skill set of being able to take a longer term view of things of being able to be relatively certain that you will have the time and space to allow your resources to accumulate or build or you can constantly keep adding to it and there will not be interfering so you will not be deprived of your rights or your liberty or your property then you can make decisions in those circumstances that might benefit you in the long term and accrue you greater wealth or good so you can start thinking about these there, are, I mean, there are just things you, you can only think about or see with a secure attachment and e- even inside yourself and to others mm-hmm. and trust and being able to start like thinking to the future. I mean, you can't even have intimacy if you cannot be in that place. I hope you have all been enjoying part two of three of the emotions of money, of which part three will be the same topic. We would also like to refer anybody who is interested to the ABC Cluster Learning Facebook group, which is a group of therapists and clinical social workers who are dedicated to helping people with personality disorders around this thorny topic as well.